When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sometimes success feels so far, right? Yet you've <laughs> thought about it for so long, you can almost taste it. And and what if, you guys, what if it tasted like the best, most buttery hot pretzel you've ever had? Welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. You know, how cool that you guys are with me to hear a story of building a massive business out of a lot of dough, but with nearly zero dough to start mm. with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to hear somebody who's going, mm-hmm, yeah, I'll tell you who that is in a second. Trust me, you will get this whole dough thing in a minute. But what you really need to know is that the global business we're about to reveal and the person who started it began after broken dreams and tragedy. It's going to leave you, I hope, inspired to realize that no matter how high the mountain, you can scale it. Because my next guest did. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of ironic that with the recent backdrop of the college admissions cheating scandal where, you know, wealthy parents paid exorbitant amounts to cheat on admissions test scores in order to get their kids into these fancy colleges, that the woman at the center of the success story we're about to tell you never went to college. She grew up in Amish country in Lancaster, Pennsylvania in the 1960s. And yes, yes, her parents drove a horse and buggy. Please welcome Ann Byler, the founder of Auntie Ann's Pretzels. Hi, Ann. Hello, Liz. Great to be on your show. Thank you. I am a massive fangirl. That's all I have to say. Okay, (laughs) we're done. We're done. You know, uh, before we even get into your incredible story, help me wrap my mind around the Amish part here because it plays a very important role in the story. I'm woefully ignorant about it. And I'm guessing a lot of our listeners don't know much about it either beyond sort of, you know, Harrison Ford's murder drama witness. That's what I know. Who are the Amish? Well, I would say if to describe them in a very just a a very short uh, manner here would be that Amish people are uh, hardworking. They're peace loving. They're all about community. They're all about hard work. They're all about faith in God. Uh, they're all about fun, which is a part that most people don't see about the Amish because they look so stoic when you see them, but they are fun loving people as well. So that was the culture that I grew up in and I am, I'm grateful for my heritage. But it's a strict lifestyle, especially for children, correct? It's very strict, but you know, Liz, uh, you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> growing up in that culture, I felt secure. I felt safe. I never wondered where my mom and dad were. I um, just felt very, uh, it was a lifestyle of just um, very simple and yet very hard work. Um, 
I felt safe with my parents as a small child. I never worried about, we never had TV or radio or any kind of outside influence. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So what did we have to fear really? Sure. Uh, nothing. But did you and, know, did you know about headlines in the news? You know, I'm a news girl. I grew oh. up, my dad would plunk me right down to watch the Vietnam War and, and Walter Cronkite reporting because yes. he said, you have to know. Yes. Well, my dad read the newspaper every day, but we never talked about the news in the world. We, he knew about it, but it was not something that we discussed around this. We called it the supper table, which we uh, all, there was eight of us kids, 10 of us total. And we all sat around the dinner table at night and uh, we didn't really discuss the world views or we didn't talk about what's happening in the world. It was more about what we did that day on the farm. Uh, talk more about our neighbors and what was happening in the neighborhood. It was all about communities. So in that way, we really didn't have a great, mm-hmm. idea. we didn't really know what was going on in the outside world. And Although would... I would say that we were not like totally secluded. Sure. Um, but as kids, I felt very safe. And when I grew up as a kid, uh, the big question was, are the Russians coming to over uh, overtake, to take over America? That was, I remember that feeling or that, Uh, my parents talking about that. So that was the big, that was the greatest fear that we had. But otherwise, that's all I knew about the world uh, view. So this brings me to your education. You went to Amish schools, correct? Mm -hmm. We went, yes, we went to private schools called Amish Mennonite School. And it was a three-room schoolhouse. And what year is this? I was born in 49, so I went to school in 1955. I went to first grade, and I went through eighth grade. And at the age of 15, I quit school because that's what you do when you're Amish. So I'm not a high school. I'm not a high school dropout, so I just didn't have the opportunity. <laughs> you never went. How can you be a dropout? <laughs> no, I'm not a dropout. So, but but when you're Amish uh, or Amish Mennonite, that's the that's not the same, but it's very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, when you when you're in that culture, you go to school till you're 15, and then you work on the farm or go to help uh, find a job to help your family. Was the idea of college ever discussed? Never. Never discussed. High school was never discussed. Mm-hmm. Uh, my three youngest brothers went to high school. So there was a shift that began to take place when I was about um, 16, maybe 17. They began to talk about high school for the three youngest brothers that I had. This and was... they all graduated from high school. Right. So you talk about the Russians. This was the era of the Cold War, but then <laughs> the Viet- right. Vietnam War, hippie counterculture, you know, Correct. kids in L.A. and New York were listening to the album Hair. You know, what mm-hmm. were you doing at that point in the 60s? Oh, I, I was oblivious to I mean, I knew those things were going on and we were going to, at that time, we went to a market, a farmer's market in Philadelphia. And that was that was truly when I was introduced to the world in which I lived. And because we, we had a market stand that was right across from our store, from our stand was a record shop. And so we heard all the mm-hmm. music that the Beatles and the Beach Boys and the late 60s and early 70s. So I know those tunes, but <laughs> that's about all I know. <laughs> okay, so you don't have an eighth grade education. You go be, that's it, eighth grade education. Yeah, correct. And correct. you're helping out on the farm. You're working for and with your parents. And for yes. all intents and purposes, you're very happy. Absolutely. And you fall in love mm-hmm. with an Amish boy. I did. Now I can almost 
almost cry thinking about that right now. I did. I fell in love with a um, handsome, tall, dark-haired Amish guy. I'm thinking and... of I'm thinking of Viggo Mortensen, who played the good-looking Amish guy in Witness. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that my husband was better looking than him. I, I'm here to tell you that, yes. <laughs> but uh, so at 16, I, I fell in love with him. And um, we got married when I was 19 and a half. And so that sounds very young. But in the Amish culture, it's just what you do. I, I was All I dreamed about doing, Liz, was to grow up and have a family of my own. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the extent of your your goals and dreams. And it's not really about a career because I knew that I needed to, I wanted to marry a man that could work hard and that could provide for his family. And that's, uh, that's what I found in Jonas Byler. But you were, and, your wants and needs were not typical of late sixties, early seventies people who said, Oh, I, Oh Gucci, Poochie, Fiorucci. I mean, I want to, mm-hmm. you know, go to Paris and I want to do this and that. No. I want to I want to no. acquire stuff. <laughs> no, it's never about stuff. I, I didn't even know about things. I, I, I grew up knowing that I needed to uh, contribute to the world. I, I needed to be a contributor, not a consumer. And so it was all about making money, managing your money, never mm-hmm. spending more than what you made. If I made a hundred bucks, I spent $99 and 99 cents. It wasn't, you know, we didn't have a credit card. We didn't, we didn't even go shopping. Uh, back in the day, there were, uh, there wasn't a mall in, in those days. Um, you know, there was Sears and there was pennies, but uh, I enjoyed shopping in a catalog and I would wish and I would wish and look and mm. I would want things, but I never really got anything. I don't and, think, you know, I don't think the Amish would ever accept me. I'm all about mm. charge it. I want that. I want this. <laughs> well, you know, that was, that was an era of time for me as well. I think that a lot of people, even other than Amish people, mm-hmm. you know, uh, lived with that mindset was, you know, to work hard, make a living and uh, live within your budget. I think that was kind of the era we lived in, even though Amish seemed a little bit more, uh, I would say, conservative when it comes to that. But that was the era in which we lived. I, it wasn't I, about things. It right. was about family this, and, yeah. If family and just what what the basics that matter in life yes. about, not into being acquisitive and Mm-mm. consuming. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. Uh, okay, then you have children, correct? Yes, yes. So I was married at 19. My husband and I uh, had our first daughter. At uh, We were married three years. And then we had Luana and uh, Angela. And then we had our third daughter, Lavelle. 1975, you have mm-hmm. a life-altering moment. Mm-hmm. What happened? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I was living, uh, my life was completely full it was, it was, I was thrilled. I loved being a wife, loved our little family. God had given us everything that I ever dreamed of. I knew there was more to come, but it, it was all about living with my family and enjoying family life in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And I believed that if I did everything just right, or I was a good girl, then my theology was a little bit um, I would say probably not correct, but I believed if I was a good girl, then God would bless me. And um, I know today that life is hard and God is good, and I don't confuse the two anymore. Mm-hmm. But at that time, I thought that God was harsh and life was good, but I was confused. 
Um, so when Angie, um, on a beautiful fall morning, Angie went up to be with my mom and which she always said, we live next door to each other. And my sister was working for my dad at the time. And she was, he was making a stone siding and she was working the bobcat and loading and unloading sand. And at one point she backed up the bobcat. And when she uh, went to go forward, um, she saw Angie uh, laying in front of the bobcat. She had driven over her and Angie was killed instantly that morning. How old was Angie? Angie was 19 months old. Oh. And what does this do to you and your idyllic life? Hmm. It changed my life. It uh, changed me. It changed my relationship with my husband. Uh, it changed my view of who God is. Um, and it took me uh, a long time to really um, resolve all of that in my heart and in my head and to really come to terms with what is it that I believe? And um, it will take us, a, I, we can't um, cover all of that on this show. I know that. Mm. So I, I, I don't need to go into the details of that. But I, ha I can say, even though that changed my life and it changed our relationship as, as a couple, uh, my husband and I have been married 50 years now in Whoa, September. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And I, I, every time I say that, I, I, I can hardly believe that because of the, the struggles that we went through as a couple. Mm. And uh, when Angie was killed five months after that, we were faithful church attenders and we stayed involved in our little community church. And, and because I was uh, so grief stricken, I became very silent and withdrawn in my, with my kids, my husband, and I, I was just completely in shock about this. And so five months later, I went to see my pastor uh, just to, I needed some answers. And um, so when I went there, I, I trusted this man and I felt like he was a good man. But when I left his, before I left his office, he uh, took advantage of me. And um, that was the, my introduction to abuse. And so which he, I he you were very vulnerable and yeah absolutely so often happens yes I had no idea about abuse sexual abuse I didn't know anything about like adultery like sexual sins of any kind I was I was clueless and uh, so when this happened to me I knew deep in my soul that this was not okay mm -hmm. and I was uh, decided that after I left his office that I would never tell anyone. And Liz, it was the secret of all that that kept me in a dark place for and in depression for many, many, many years. Absolutely. And, um, this yeah. is a, a common theme that you hear from yes, it is. victims mm -hmm. of abuse. It's, it's the burying of this. Mm -hmm. And it's, Shakespeare yes. said, the truth will out. And mm -hmm. whether you want it to or not, it surfaces. Yes. And, and yes. blowing through the skin of deep below, it, mm. it causes real pain, but then eventually redemption. and, and Absolutely. And I'm living in that today. Good. Well, <laughs> yes. All right. So let's fast forward. You go through this, this very yes. difficult time with your husband, but you reconcile. And by then, yes. he being what has to be one of the most generous, wonderful people on planet Earth, wants to be a marriage counselor for free to the Amish That's community. Right. So That's you right. get to step up and say, all right, somebody's got to make money here for the family. That's right. Yes. So yes. 
you've read my story. What, <laughs> what so really, happened? It's, it's, yeah, so it's out of our pain, our purpose was created. And uh, to all of your listeners out there today, you know, there's many people listening, I'm sure, that are in deep pain and at the end of their themselves and, and wonder, can I even go on, you know, and I can relate to that, but uh, hold on because there, there's a better day coming. And um, I, I would never have dreamed that out of our pain, we would actually find a purpose for living. And, but that's what happened. And, and it, it came about because I, I really felt like um, as I disclosed my secret to my husband, um, the whole story of forgiveness it just amazes me. And, but that's what happened. And he loved me and never once accused me or made me feel guilty or bad. And because of that, um, that's why we're together today. And he, through studying um, theology, um, counseling, human behavior, um, he understood better what was happening to us. And he decided that he will do the same for other couples free of charge. And that's, uh, that's what happened. And I, I went to work for the first time to support our family. Well, you didn't just go to work. You wanted to do something about which you knew something. And that was certainly cooking and baking. That's right. <laughs> and you bought a little farm stand, correct? That was making mm-hmm. pretzels and pizza. That's right. But where'd you get the money for that? Because you guys didn't have a lot of money. No, we had no money. Uh, we had we had $25 at that at that moment, $25 cash, no savings, no credit cards, nothing. And uh, we were offered the store and we needed $6,000. And we, we listen, I mean, when we heard about the store, uh, our initial thought was, wow, we could never afford that. Mm-hmm. But as time, as we talked to the owners and they gave us the price and my husband said to me, hon, I think my dad will give us the money for that. So we went to his dad, who was also an Amish guy, but he also had, he was a wealthy Amish man. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so he, he loaned us the money and we set up shop for $6,000 with a $6,000 loan, faith in God. Uh, a lot of, uh, we're just thrilled with the opportunity uh, it was amazing that we actually had this opportunity to do uh, our own, have our own business. It okay. was a miracle. Doors open in 1988. What right. happens? What was the foot traffic like? How nervous were you? What were you oh. selling? Tell me, tell me. <laughs> I was so nervous and I didn't know anything about business. We never owned a market or never owned a business before. Uh, but there was one thing that was instilled into me and that was to work hard and to love people. And to bake a very to to bake a good product, mm-hmm. uh, I, I learned that at home. If I make a good pie or bake some good cookies or cake or whatever, the family always raved about it. And I knew when I had a good product. And so, uh, we went to this uh, farmers market and we began to work on a on this soft pretzel that was already there. And uh, it, it really wasn't the best uh, recipe. <laughs> and one day I was going to take it down. Uh, we had ice cream, pizza, and pretzels. And uh, I was very unhappy with the pretzels. And my husband <laughs> said, before you take it off the menu, let me go to the store and let me add some ingredients that I think might make the recipe better. And I'm like, well, whatever, just do whatever you can. But I, I'm, I'm done with pretzels. We'll do pizza and ice cream. <laughs> and uh, so he went to the store and I'm, I'm pouting because the product was terrible. And he came back and we added some ingredients to the existing recipe that we had. And it was miraculous. I will always tell people, Auntie Anne's, the product itself was a was a modern day business miracle, and Auntie Anne's was created uh, just to to bless people. Uh, there was a greater plan that 
that was beyond our control, it seemed like at the time. Well, it, it actually weaves into the origins of the pretzel. Absolutely. You know, first pretzel created by an Italian monk in the 7th century. Mm-hmm. And, and this is what I learned, and you tell me. He twisted scraps of dough to make them look like arms folded in prayer. That's correct. And the, the holes in the pretzel represent the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the salt that it's salted with means that we are the salt of the earth. And back in the day, it was called a pretiola, a Latin word meaning a little reward. So Auntie Anne's is all about pretiola, meaning a little reward. For every customer that comes mm-hmm. to the counter, they need a little reward. So we love that. Well, and uh, that's great. But here's where I am blown away. To go from that in 1988 Mm -hmm. to where you are today, close to 2,000 outlets in 28 countries, Mm -hmm. that's that's just this massive quantum leap. But Mm -hmm. to me, as I read your story, an even bigger leap was when you opened your second store. Forget a 2,000. Mm-hmm. Your mm-hmm. second store, you opened that just a few months after your first? Were you that successful with the little one you bought for six grand? Yes, we were. We were We were making pretzels. Uh, we, we could not keep up with the demand. We, we added more ovens. I added more employees. Um, we did as high as in one day we would do, we call it, Back in the day, it was called 90 doughs, 90 batches, and there was about 45 pretzels per batch. So we did uh, 90 times close to 4,000 pretzels in one day. And the, the, so, so in this little market stand, word began to – it just began to spread like wildfire. Auntie Anne's pretzels, uh, you, you got you to have one, you know, and you got to taste it. And so – in our community, the word spread, and um, somebody came to us and said, we, there's a store available in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So we went to look at the store, and we decided, sure, we can do two locations. I'll be at one, and my sister uh, can be at the other one, and that way we can manage two stores. And that was, in my mind, that was as far as we were going to go. Two stores. That's right. Uh, did, you, <laughs> did, did you have a business plan, a marketing strategy? No. no we did you even nothing. know what those words meant? No, I did not. I do now, but I did not at the time. <laughs> did you try, for, to, did you try for a bank trial. loan? Uh, we did try for a bank loan. At that time, though, we had made enough of money in six months to where we could actually pay for our second location. I understand uh, back in the day it was maybe another five or $6,000 mm-hmm. for our second location. And I remember uh, actually crying about this on our way back after we had signed up market a deal with the market master i started crying i told my husband hun all of the money we have in savings now we're going to put into our second location what if this doesn't work (laughs) and uh it was the first time in our lives that we'd ever had a savings account and my husband said hun you know everybody's going to love your pretzels don't worry about it we don't need to sell that many to make up the rent there uh well we're going to do just fine but i was like really it was um anxiety stressed out anxiety i was very i was thinking maybe we did the wrong thing but um when we opened up the store there immediately immediately we began to sell pretzels and we couldn't make them fast enough again it was unbelievable so we knew that auntie ann's was on the on the way to somewhere, but we had no idea where. <laughs> you were on the way to maybe Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, who knows? That would right? be about it. Um, 
Um, so uh, uh, I don't want to go through each and every step up until 2000, okay. but at what point don't you need a business loan from a bank to, to really scale up? I, I'm interested to know what bankers thought of somebody who never went to high school, didn't go to college, and was operating off cash and no credit cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then also part of our uh, our mission was Antian's was created to give. So back in the day, I didn't understand that bankers really don't want to deal with someone that wants to give their money away. So I get it. I get it now. But back then, I, I thought, I don't know, we were having a blast because we were able to give and uh, pay our employees well. And, and fast forward from 1988 to the year 1990, 91, my youngest brother came on board and he became the the manager and he was able to departmentalize. We put uh, training uh, systems in place. We went to a, a franchise a consulting company called Francorp out of Chicago, Illinois. So we really, in two years, we just gathered so much information about franchising that let me tell you this, I was scared to death like, wow, I cannot believe that we're franchising. I began to understand that world. And it was very, very scary for me. But I was learning. I'm reading books on leadership, on franchising, on management, and all the things that I needed to learn. And uh, going to conferences and um, training uh, myself in leadership, there's all kinds of things. I'm, I'm, I'm packing it in. And um, at, at one point, I was at the very end of just like, I can't do this anymore. But somehow we found, we always found the right people uh, to take us to the next place. So Auntie Anne's is really not about me. Auntie Anne's is about the great people that came to us that understood our vision, our mission, and our purpose. And they helped us to get where eventually we realized where we wanted to go. Sure. And uh, at one point in 1990. Three, I believe it was, we wanted to go, uh, we wanted to do regional offices and set up an office and a store in five different regions. We went to the bank for a million and a half. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had every bill was paid. We were putting money into our account. Uh, there was really no reason for them to say no. But we'd gone to three different banks and every one of them said no. Oh. And uh, I'm like, wow, why? Why would they say no? I mean, everything's, you know, our P&Ls look great. And so my uh, P&L, brother, profit and loss. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And um, so we found out that the banks uh, didn't loan us the money because they did not like our contribution column. Because we, that was that was one of our columns, contribution. Right. Meaning because donations and charity. Yes, yes. They didn't uh, like because- that. That's just amazing to me. Well, yeah, but, you know, I understand that now, but that was the reason they didn't give us the loan. And, uh, but, but we got the loan through an angel investor and that story is just crazy amazing. Let me, let me stop you there. Oh, yes. yes. That angel investor for our listeners was a chicken farmer. That's correct. (laughs) A chicken farmer. Tell me about said (laughs) Mr. Chicken Farmer. Well, I didn't know the man, but we had a, hired a, a young lady that uh, came to work for us. And she said, now, Ian, I know that you're looking for some money. And I know the banks are not because we were very small. We may have had 30 employees at the time. And um, she said, you know, I'm not trying to be in your business, but I know somebody that's got a lot of money. And he's a chicken <laughs> farmer and he loves your pretzels. I just think that he would probably give you the money. I'm like, really? 
And then, and I said, well, what am I supposed to do? Like give him a call and just say, Hey, and she said, no, don't worry about it. She said, I'll call him. I'll tell him who you are. And I'll tell him that you're looking for some money. And I'm like, Oh, great. So she, t- she made the call. It was a friend of hers. She made the call and we met this gentleman, uh, like a day or two later and over a handshake and a cup of coffee, um, he said, okay, I'll give you a million and a half. He Whoa. said, I'll put the check in the mail in the morning. And then when you get the check, uh, there'll be a, a um, uh, there'll be an agreement with that. And you can sign that and send it back to me. And that's how, that's how he started when it comes to banking and loaning money. And he became, he was really our banker for, for many years. Oh, he, uh, I find that anytime. so yeah. inspiring. You know, I would not have found your story. I love Auntie Anne's pretzels. I'm a hound, as I said, I'm like that that um, gigantic pig that roots out truffles <laughs> underneath trees in in Tuscany. I'll root out wherever there's an Auntie Anne's. But my assistant and my producer Tanya Joseph came to me with your story, and she said, "Liz, you've got to hear this story." I'm thinking, Auntie Anne's. Okay, she, yeah. I mean, I like it, but I. And then she told me about it. She's sitting here. I mean, Tanya, can you even believe this? No, this is an amazing story, and I'm so glad that you get to share it here. Not everyone talks to Liz, Anne. <laughs> it's it's truly it amazes me every time I tell the story. It's it truly is a miracle, <laughs> right? You know, what really blew me away is your ability to take a tragedy and turn it into a victory. And yeah. you know, during the darkest of times, you found that light, and you mm-hmm. were a light to others in those mm-hmm. moments. That's just mm-hmm. very beautiful and inspiring, mm-hmm. and we really admire that about your story. Mm-hmm. Mm, thank you. I think people can relate to that, Anne, because, mm. listen, we, we are in New York City. We dealt with so mm. many people mm. who mm. lost mm-hmm. loved ones during mm. 9-11. And yeah. I know yeah. tragic many people who just wanted to curl up and hide for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you can't. No, although you feel like it. And, and truly, that's what I thought I was going to do for mm-hmm. a very long time. But uh, there was a there was a greater plan. You have to you have to keep going. You cannot you can't stop. You just have to keep going in, in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of loss. And uh, that that's where family and friends and prayer and church and God and mm-hmm. all those things come into play. You know, even though will, you would are, you would admit you were confused or at least a little angry at God? Oh, oh, absolutely. I changed my, my view about God. I, I, I didn't understand. So of course, um, I was troubled and, but even today, Liz, I don't have all the answers about that. Mm -hmm. I know that life is hard and God is good. I'm not confused about that, Mm -hmm. but I also understand how hard it is when you have experienced a great tragedy, how hard it is to connect to God, uh, even to people that you love and care about, because we want to stay in a room and curl up in our bed and stay there. Mm-hmm. So I think the secret is you got to keep, you have to keep going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can't stay in your room. Well, you have to keep going. Not only didn't you stay in your room, as you started to find momentum with this business, I'm interested to know the piece that involves airports. How did you get into your first airport? <laughs> Because that's where I find you, LaGuardia and Washington, D.C. Okay, and Pittsburgh was our first airport, and uh, Denver, Denver, Colorado, the, those two. 
uh, well, that's a, yeah. So we, we, we got into the mall, uh, industry. we got into the malls mm -hmm. by going out to Vegas, which is at the ICSC, um, it's the International Shopping Centers Convention. Ah. And we went out there and that's where all the developers and all the leasing agents come together. And there's a huge, it's a huge uh, convention. And so we took our product out there and we built a store for three days. I believe it was in 1991. And we built a store, actual physical store, right in the mid middle of the ICSC convention. And we gave our product away for three days. And that was the introduction that we made to the world with Auntie Anne's pretzels because people from all over the world went to that convention. And it's there that mall developers discovered us is where uh, airports discovered us. Um, and we had so many people that wanted us in their malls or the airports <laughs> or wherever we couldn't even, we could not um, keep up with the demand. So that was our introduction uh, to the world. Oh, and there are many famous people who are obsessed with Auntie Anne's pretzels. Oprah suddenly discovers you way late in the game. I know, not too long ago. I'm like, wow, where does she live? Maybe she never goes shopping. Maybe she never shops. She, I don't know. She's, she's flying not. private, honey. I mean, she's not in the D.C. airport like I am Absolutely. slumming it. I understand. <laughs> but I'm glad that she discovered Auntie Anne's. In fact, she made it one of her favorite things, correct? Yes. And I have, I, I have yet to... Uh, to meet her, but maybe one day I will. Maybe one day. I want to talk about the flavors. So you started off with the butter and salt, which is my personal yeah. favorite. Mm -hmm. And when did mm -hmm. you morph to cinnamon sugar? Well, actually, that was within the first uh, few months. We we realized that this the, the, the pretzel was so good. It was almost like we thought about it like um, like I'm eating toast or a bagel. Okay. So when you think about that, you can add anything to a bagel or to toast. And cinnamon sugar just um, kind of was a was a natural when we thought about mm, our first product uh, other than the salt was the cinnamon sugar. Mm -hmm. And when we discovered that, it became not – it's never been the best seller, but it's always been number two. What is the best We're seller? Is it original? the regular? Okay, the original. Uh, yeah, original. That's what uh, I Well, get. I should say – I mean, that's what I know. It may have changed in the last couple of years, but as far as I know, that's still the best seller. In the Philippines, the best seller is almond with a caramel dip because they love sweets. Ooh. And so the almond pretzel with the caramel dip is the number one seller or was in the Philippines. What are the other flavors out there in other countries? Ooh, you know, I can't answer that question. I don't know. I, I know heard there's they, a seaweed one. I, I heard that too, but I don't know enough about that to, to know what, you know, what the best sellers And we should, should be. let our viewers know that you don't know about that now because you did end up at the height of its growth and success selling Correct. Auntie Anne's Correct. pretzels. You sold yes, the I did. Why? Yes. Well, um, there was, a, there was a number of reasons, but I think, um, the number one reason for us, we felt like it was a good time to sell. Um, we, we felt like we, we had a pretzel first and then we had a platform. So I felt like, uh, that I had a, a, an, another calling in my life and that was to share my story. And, um, I really believed that there was another life that, that God wanted me to live. And, um, we had, we had built the company to a point of, um, it, it, it was, it was still a lot of fun. I loved all the people 
but at the same time, I didn't know everybody anymore. Mm -hmm. And I, I really didn't know all of my employees and I didn't know all the franchisees. And I, that was the part that I really enjoyed was knowing the people uh, in the company. And it just became more and more um, stressful for, for me Uh, as, as a woman in business, I, I just felt like I couldn't take it much further and um, people would say to me, but this is, you know, everything is going so well. Why sell now? And I was, I would respond by saying, it's going so well. Why not sell? Ah. And <laughs> I just think that you really have to know when is a good time to get out. And I just felt like I didn't want to be, um, I told my husband at one time, I don't want to be 70 Uh, and still be Auntie Anne because I don't want to be walking around the hallways and feeling like I'm all that important and I have a lot to offer when, you know, I really may have worn out my welcome, you know, maybe I can't do this when I'm 70. So I don't know, I just started looking at some things and felt like it was okay to sell and we sold it and put it into, we felt like really good hands at the time who was my second cousin who bought the company and he and the banks bought it. So it continued to be a private Aww. company. And um, so I was really happy with the sale and who bought it. it. It just seemed like it was a perfect fit. And the employees, although of course it was a big change, but uh, the, the new owner was, they, everybody knew him because he'd been in the company for the, the life of the company. So it wasn't a stranger and, uh, it just, everything worked out for us. And, uh, I really missed it. It was a hard decision mm -hmm. to make, but, um, looking back the further it's the, the further it's behind us, uh, the, the, the more we really believe that, that it was a really good decision at that time. Well, I'm curious now, Now, when you pass one in your travels, <laughs> do you go buy it? Do you look at it? Do you do, do you purchase? Do you kind of have yeah. fun talking to maybe the servers when they don't even know who you are? Yeah, all the above. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I can't help it. You know, with the name still being Auntie Anne's and will always be Auntie mm -hmm. Anne's, it's, it's a little hard for me to feel like it's really not mine. You know, like I don't own it, but I know I don't. So I have learned to, uh, I know what my boundaries are. And um, so when I go up to a store, um, uh, typically I actually buy the product because I'm always, uh, I'm all about con uh, being a contributor to society. And I don't feel like, um, I don't feel good about like, oh, can I have a free pretzel, please? It just doesn't feel <laughs> really because right I me. do. I have no <laughs> yeah. problem with that. Yeah, well, that's okay. You may, but for for me, <laughs> so I typically I buy the product. Um, when I when I walk by the store, the first thing I do is I look at the product and I I, I want to see is it perfect? Is it golden brown? Is mm. it fresh and hot and golden brown? And if it's not, I can tell. Um, there's something inside of me that it's like. It's your baby. I own the company. Yeah. Like I, I want to do something about this. I want to fix it, but I use restraint every time. And I realize that, that if the product is not uh, done well and the store looks bad, uh, most times it's not really the management. It's the franchisee's responsibility. Uh. And so it's not okay for me to go to a manager at the store mm -hmm. and employees that are working hourly and really, um, Doing their best. You know, uh, yeah, upset about the product because um, somebody hasn't been training well. And I understand that. So I still, I, I stop by and I, uh, most times I will tell them who I am, but sometimes I don't. And it, has the recipe changed at all? No, it has not. Do you think it ever will? 
Um, why mess I with would, something I would, perfect? I would hope not. Why Why would it? I, I would hope not. <laughs> it better not. <laughs> That's right. Because I like it, it the not. way it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, your story is so inspiring. And I think back as we as we say thank you, that Angela is looking down and thinking, yes. that's my mom. That's yeah, my thank mom. you. Yes. Do you ever think about that? Sure. I think she has a lot to do with it. <laughs> well, it's fascinating, isn't it, that from mm-hmm. such sorrow mm-hmm. comes this incredible business mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. journey that you've been on. And I am so inspired and so grateful. And I know our listeners mm absolutely have been changed by this story. Mm -hmm. And thank you. Yes. Thank you, Liz, for having me. And just want to say in closing, all things are possible with faith and hard work. Amen. That's my my story. I'm sticking to it. That's your story. You're sticking to it. And here at Everyone Talks to Liz, we like to end by saying, nobody gets to see a rainbow without seeing a little rain first. Oh, wow. How true. Thank you. How true. What a joy it's been for me. Come visit us in New York if you ever get here, Anne. I would love to. And um, bring free samples. Thanks. (laughs) I'll do that. I'll bring you a a pretzel, okay? I'll take it. Butter and salt. Anne Byler, the founder, the brilliance behind Auntie Anne's Pretzels. We thank Mm. you so much. And thank you for listening to Everyone Talks to Liz. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.